Hi, this is Mark Brady. I'm the pastor at Anchor Faith Church in Valdosta, Georgia. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast today. We believe it will bless you and minister to you. I get ready to receive a word from God. If you would, go ahead and turn to Judges chapter 6. Judges chapter 6. I do want to say a massive and huge appreciation to all of our armed forces and our military, this being Memorial Day weekend, as we memorialize and remember those that have fought for this country and given the utmost sacrifice their lives. Um, They're in our thoughts and prayers, their families, but we are thankful for every service men and women um, that has given, uh, volunteered their lives in an act of serving and protecting this great country and this great nation. This nation doesn't have to be perfect to, to still serve and protect it and fight for it. Amen. And um, so thank you to all those that are with us today that are actively serving. Thank you to all those that veterans have now retired but gave their lives and to your wives and to your children as well for the sacrifices that each of you have made. We're just so thankful for you and thankful for this nation, this nation that was founded on godly principles and are working towards maintaining those. That responsibility comes with a very high cost because now not only do we have nations against us, but even Satan himself wants to tear down what this nation was built upon And he's working very diligently to do so. But for us as a church, we have to rise up and take our place. Amen. And I've said, you know, over the last several weeks as we have um, been talking and communicating uh, about challenging normal. We kind of started on this journey about four weeks ago of this whole idea of going back to normal. And what does that look like? And um, there are some things that we don't need to go back to in our nation. There are some things that we don't need to pick back up and fall back into and run back to the comfort and the familiarity of what used to be. Um, There are some things that God is trying to disrupt and challenge. And so I've worked diligently to bring you messages that I feel are relevant to this time and relevant since we're all in the midst of disruption and all in the midst of what looks different. Why don't we just take this as an opportunity to let God work on the stuff that needs to be worked on, give him access to the stuff that maybe we've closed off for years, um, for generations even. Maybe you're the one to break something that generationally uh, goes back in your family to dad and granddad and great-granddad and mom and grandma and great-grandma. Maybe this is, maybe you are the one for such a time as this that will break that off of your family and break that, that it doesn't go past you. Amen. Generationally, God is trying to do something. And um, if one generation doesn't accomplish it, he'll move on to the next one. Amen. We saw that last week when we were talking about you've come too far. The the Israelites had come out of slavery, come out of being uh, in severe bondage to the Egyptians. And Uh, were delivered by the mighty hand of God through uh, plagues much more severe than even what we're encountering today. 
through 10 plagues that God used to deliver his people to show himself strong and really even gave grace and mercy to Pharaoh and the Egyptians. When you think about that, that was the hand and the act of a very gracious and merciful God that he gave Pharaoh 10 opportunities to turn his heart and to let his people go. Hey, I asked nicely. Moses came in and said, let my people go. And uh, ultimately, Pharaoh chose the latter, chose to hold on, to hold out. God uh, delivered them. Finally, Pharaoh said, it's gotten bad enough, but then he even chased them down. And thank God he chased them down because he chased them into his death, into the waters that the Israelites crossed over were the same waters that drowned their enemies. Amen. Know this, your enemy can't swim. And the sea that was meant to deliver you was, was, was brought to destroy them. So God has to bring you through some things because he knows that your enemy will not make it through. Your enemy will not come through. There are uh, uh, great ways that God wants to see you come to victory and transition into a new life. Amen. But let's not get into the wilderness, which is just an access point. It's just a transition to ultimately get to the promised land. But rather they got stuck in the wilderness, in a cycle. And we saw in Romans chapter 12 that it's the cycles or the patterns that we get stuck in that really become the hindrance to what God wants to do in our life. It's the patterns and the cycles that we get engaged in and accustomed to. Romans 12 verse two says, do not become accustomed to or patterned to, or even this word, do not become conditioned to which is the word we're gonna discover and look at today, conditioning, conditioning. You know, conditioning can be a good thing. When you talk about being conditioned as an athlete, when you talk about conditioning your body, it means uh, uh, putting your body through uh, uh, challenges and through circumstances so that when the real challenge shows up, you can endure the challenge, amen? You know, endurance is one of the greatest characteristics that any believer ought to have. Perseverance. And I believe that's waning in our day and age. What it means to persevere. What it means to persist. What it means to endure through something. But when we condition ourselves, it means that I'm, I'm bringing challenge and uh, 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 you know, an aggressiveness to my body so that I can endure what's coming ahead. Amen? When you go into a weight room uh, and you begin to lift weights or you begin to train your body, you don't lift at the level that you can lift or even below that. You want to lift beyond what you're capable of. And God is calling the church to lift beyond what we thought we were capable of. I've told this story before, but I one time hired a, a personal trainer. And, um, you know, I remember the uh, trainer came in and the first thing he asked me uh, was, okay, let's do some bicep curls. Uh, what, what do you normally lift? I said, uh, you know, 35, and you know, you want to be impressive. I, I learned my lesson the first time. Uh, you know, those, those 40s look, look pretty good. You know, I could never get a set of 10 three times with 40s. That would be a mistake. So he's like, okay, get the 45s. Oh, I see what you're doing here. So I learned real quick, the next time he asked me that question, I would drop it down a little bit. 
because you're trying to push me past where I'm at. What am I doing? I'm getting my money's worth because if I have a trainer that says, what can you lift? 35. Okay, let's start with the 25s. Fired. You're not getting me to my desired goal. You're not getting me to where I want to be. You're not going to get me to where results are actually showing up. So I've got to bring something against my body that is greater than my capacity. And he told me this, that the 35s was in your head. It's in your head. You thought you couldn't lift. You'd be surprised what you could lift. You'd be surprised at what you can do. Amen. So we saw last week that God delivered his people. Obviously, we had a generation die in the wilderness. A new generation arose. Joshua took that uh, nation and that generation into the promised land. And we saw through the book of Joshua's conquest after conquest, campaign after campaign, victory after victory. God showed himself mightily through a nation that would simply respond to his word. Walk around the wall seven times, walk around it, no problem. Shout till the walls fall down, we'll shout till the walls fall down. Go here, go there, take this city. Take, and as long as they responded to the voice of God and the word of God, they experienced victory. You know, you've got everything you need to experience victory in your life right now. Right now. He doesn't have to die on the cross again. He doesn't have to send angels. He doesn't have to do this or do that. You have everything you need. It's called the word of God. Adam and Eve didn't need anything else in that garden to defeat that snake. They already had everything they need in the word of God. If they simply obeyed the word, do not eat the fruit of that tree. The snake could never touch them. The snake could never harm them. The snake could have never had the power over them that he ultimately was able to exercise when they disobeyed the word. So staying in a responsive heart and a responsive attitude towards the word of God, an obedient heart. We said this last week that miracles is when God works on my behalf, but obedience is when I work on God's behalf. I need God to work on my behalf. How about you? You need a miracle in your life? Yeah, we all need a miracle. That's where God does what only he can do. But obedience is where I do what he cannot do. Yeah, I said that right. Where I do what he, I thought God can't do anything. He can't do your part. You can't do his part. But he won't do your part. He's outlined very clearly. There's a part you play. Well, we got through Judges and we saw in this uh, message last week that although the Israelites made it through and began to win these battles and these victories, they began to leave some things alive. They began to leave some breath in the lungs and they began to leave some life on the bones and they began to leave certain things alive and began this pattern again or this cycle Well, we saw three stages of defeat. We saw where they began to settle. Then they began to compromise with those that they settled with. Because everything in our life that is now being practiced, we allowed it at one point. Everything you're doing habitually today, you tolerated yesterday. Hello? You let it go. You didn't call on it immediately when you knew it was going to be a problem. And it showed up in a seed form in its smallest state. 
and we didn't uproot the seed. We didn't pluck up the seed when it was just a tiny little seed. We let the thing grow and now we have this massive tree blocking and hindering us and now we're trying to figure out what to do with this tree. Well, you know, I, I deal with this a lot of time in counseling sessions. They want me to uproot in 40 minutes what they have watered and maintained for 40 years. It don't work that way. It doesn't work that way. They settled, they compromised, they began to marry the people of those nations that they left alive, and then ultimately they idolized or they began to worship. They literally began to share and became, it became just as part of their fabric of the Israelite nation as it was the Philistine nation or the Amalekite nation or the Amorite nation. And what was normal to their enemies became normal to them. So what is tolerated one day becomes habitually practiced and becomes normal the next day. Well, we're gonna move ahead a few chapters. We recognize this cycle in the book of Judges where they would uh, sin against God, do evil in the sight of the Lord. Their enemies would overtake them. They would cry out to the Lord, oh, deliver us, send us someone to deliver us. God would send them a judge. God would send them a deliverer, set them free, and they would enjoy freedom for a short period of time, and then they would fall right back into this cycle. How do we get out of this cycle? How do we get out of these patterns? Well, let's look at this in Judges chapter six. Judges chapter six, reading from the New Living Translation, and verse one states, the Israelites did evil, in the Lord's sight. You know, honestly, you could have just stopped with the Israelites did evil because it's all in the Lord's sight, right? It's not like they were doing evil, but then all of a sudden God saw it. It's always been there. We have to recognize the clarity of this statement that God sees it. There's nothing hidden from him. And, and, and what might be darkness to others will eventually be brought to light. But to God, he sees it. He's seen the activity. He's seen what's going on. And he saw it from a small state and he's seen it grow to this massive state. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Now they're on lockdown. Right? Sound familiar? They're in quarantine. Their enemies have put them in quarantine. They're, they're, in, they're in a shelter-in-place order now. Safer at home. Well, they're not even safe at home. They had to come out of their homes and go and hide in caves. Think about the disruption now. The Midianites were brought in to disrupt something. This is how God addresses when we get in the wrong patterns and we get in the wrong cycles, guess what God does? He'll disrupt it. He'll challenge it. He'll confront it. And some of us are experiencing, and I'm not even just talking to what's going on in our world today, but some of us have experienced disruptions, spiritual disruptions, mental disruptions. And we keep fighting it off, saying, God, deliver me, God, deliver me, and the answer to the solution is just obey me. Just follow my command, follow my word, follow my leading. The same word I gave to Abraham, the same word I gave to, to Isaac and Jacob, the same word I gave to Moses, the same word I gave to Joshua, it's the same word you need to follow. 
You, you go through the Old Testament and you see these cycles in place and God always points them back to his word. The word of God is the greatest way to break any cycle in your life and not just reading it and not just hearing it, but doing it and applying it and practicing it. But when these cycles show up in these patterns of doing evil in the sight of the Lord, he's bringing a disruption or he's confronting that cycle with the Midianites. And they were so cruel that the Israelites that it actually moved them out of their homes. They're, they're left to hiding out in caves and strongholds in the mountains. It says whenever the Israelites planted their crops, Marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. Have any of you experienced that when you get in a cycle, an unhealthy cycle, that even what you plant dies? You try to feed on the word and you come to church and you plant it and it comes back up unfruitful. Yeah, because until we practice it, Jesus talked about this with the parable of the sower. Every instance, four different cases with the parable of the sower that the word was planted or that the word was sown, every single one except for the fourth one, it came up unfruitful. Now there's nothing wrong with the seed and there's nothing wrong with the sower, that's Jesus. There was something wrong with the soil. Something wrong with the soil. If you want to address the issue of unfruitfulness in your life, we have to look at the soil. This word that we're giving you today, it will help you. This word today will benefit you. This word today is life unto your bodies, unto your life, into your mind, into your spirit. This is a life-giving word. But if it's planted in the wrong soil, it will not produce the right harvest. And so even what they're planting is coming up unfruitful. They come and destroy it. It, it said there in uh, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower, that the enemy comes and he steals. It says the enemy comes immediately. You know what that means? As soon as I say amen. As soon as we take up the offering, as soon as you get in your car and you start facing life's challenges out there, that means as soon as you get on Dale Drive, as soon as you turn left or right onto St. Augustine, uh, as soon as you go back into your homes, as soon as you go back into your workplace, as soon as you go back into your routines, what's the enemy doing? Coming to snatch away and steal away what was planted. Will you give the enemy access to what is being sown right now? Right where you're at, will you do that? I mean, the percentage rate from the parable of the sower is not great. One out of four, 25%. I believe this whole room right now can all be the 25%. You with me? That we'll all be good soil and say, God, I'm gonna take this word and I'm gonna, I'm gonna till the soil of my heart. I'm gonna make sure I'm ready to receive it, ready to be taught, ready to be corrected, ready to be challenged put my priorities in the right place so that when I hear the word, it doesn't come up and get scorched out by the sun. It doesn't get quenched by thorns. The enemy doesn't come and snatch it away. But it can produce a harvest for the kingdom of God. So the enemy would come and even destroy the crops that they were planting. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and 
donkeys. These enemy hordes coming with their livestock in tents were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel was was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. They're in a complete dire situation. They're in a place where uh, they have been completely enveloped and encompassed by their enemies. They have left, they are now left with no recourse, no resource. Even the resources that they have are being taken away. Even the work that they're doing isn't producing anything for their lives because they abandoned the Lord, because they walked away from him. Remember what he told Moses and what he told Joshua, I will never leave you, I'll never forsake you. Do not be afraid, do not be dismayed, for I, the Lord, am with you wherever you go. Amen. Judges chapter six and verse 11, skip on down to verse 11. Then the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abiezer. Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press to hide the grain from the Midianites. He's threshing wheat at the bottom of a wine press. Now, threshing wheat was not an activity that was done in an enclosed space. Threshing wheat was not something that was done in an unmarked location or, uh, you know, in a place, uh, you know, it was typically done in the open. Threshing wheat was typically something that they did where it could be done out in the open and the breeze would come by and blow away the chaff as they were threshing the wheat. I know I might sound really smart right now, but that was a footnote in my Bible. That, that's what it said in there. We're going with that. But historically, there's a principle here. Historically and contextually, there's something that God is trying to show us. Is that Gideon has been removed from his normal conditions. These were not normal working conditions. Anybody working conditions, anyone's working conditions been disrupted a little bit. You could say Gideon's working from home. He's having to do all his wheat threshing on a Zoom call now. He used to be able to meet with them in person, have a conference room and people responding. Now he's having to teach online, right? Now he's having to do all these telehealth calls. Yeah, Gideon's conditions have been disrupted. Gideon's way of life and way of, he's so beyond normal at this point. This is not normal. This is not normal. This is not normal for someone to be threshing wheat the way he is. It's been disrupted. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, what? Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So Gideon's hiding out. It tells us that. It literally states that he's threshing wheat in the bottom of a wine press because he's hiding it from his enemy, the Midianites. He's hiding out. He is not doing this to be, uh, you know, intuitive. He's not doing this because he wants to. He's not doing it this way because he found a new way to do it. It's my new norm. No, he's doing this for one goal and one goal in mind. I don't want anybody to know I've got wheat down here. 
because they're coming, they're raiding all of our crops. They're taking all of our food. We're left to starvation, it said. The disruption and the challenge uh, has forced him into a condition and into a situation that is not the norm. It's not normal. Look at your neighbor and say, this is not normal. They're not normal conditions. His way of life has been disrupted. But here's the thing. We can eventually accept disruptions as conditions. If we aren't careful, we'll eventually accept disruptions as conditions. And as far as I know, this is my last message regarding this challenging normal series that we've been on. And where I really want us to point out and look at as we move forward and as we are progressing and as we are advancing, if you missed uh, uh, Wednesday night, you need to get online and listen to Wednesday night's message. We talked about three hindrances to progress. Three hindrances to progress. You need to get on and hear it. Three hindrances to progress. What it was, what it is, and what we thought it was going to be. Three hindrances to our progress. To our, this is the kingdom that is supposed to be advancing. We're not backing down. We're not shrinking away. We're gonna do as Jude tells us to contend for the faith. But to do that, we're gonna have to get away from what it was. We're gonna have to stop just seeing it the way it is. And we're gonna have to transform our mind, renew our mind to not just let it be the way that we thought it was going to be. Because God wants to move us into some new things. God wants to bring some things into our lives. God wants to use these disruptions as an opportunity to shift some things in the church, locally, generally, internationally, and in your life as well, personally, individually. God is trying to do a work. He wants to do a new thing. Isaiah tells us God is doing a new thing. But what we have to be careful is that if we allow today's disruptions to become tomorrow's conditions. I've heard a lot of people talk about, well, this is just going to be the new way of doing things. I heard one, one country, I don't even remember who it was, said that they are talking about actually implementing a social distancing law from here on out. That's just going to be the way of life. Yeah, look at all those, uh-uh, not me. I'm in the South. We're, maybe up in the North, they're like, yeah, that's fine with me. But down here in the South, I'm like, you've already reached the brink. Some of y'all, some of y'all are looking at that row in front of you like, that's my normal spot. You roped off my normal seat. Yeah, that empty row, as soon as they take that thing off, I'm back in my chair. That's my chair. I remember back in the day, the old church ladies, they would actually bring like pillows and things and they would leave them there. That was her spot. You don't touch her spot. Karen will get you. You don't take Karen's chair at church. Leave Karen, that's Karen's spot. You see her pillow there? It's got a lighthouse on it and some doves. That's her pillow. You leave it there. Yep. And her tambourine. Yeah, that's my church. I don't know, not Church of Christ, obviously, or Pentecostal. 
If the band didn't play it, she'll play. They, she, they followed her. She wants to do it faster. Keep up with Karen. She wants to do it faster. She's got the tambourine. She's making more noise than anybody up on the stage. Yep. And when you come down to the altar, you don't leave till Karen tells you you can leave. She will pray over you in tongues for about 30 minutes. She'll call out every demon that's possible in your life. And you're like, I just came down because I have a headache. I didn't realize I had a spirit of this and a rebuke in that. That was normal. I'm okay with that being disrupted. (laughs) Some disruptions we need, amen? Hallelujah. We do have to be careful that was what was once a disruption in our life, we just become conditioned to. Let me give you the definition of condition. The definition of condition. The circumstances affecting the way which one lives. The circumstances affecting the way which one lives. The circumstances affecting the the way which one lives. And I don't know if this is an April 2020 version, but this showed up when I asked for the definition. They might've added this in in the last 60 days. Especially having to do with safety or well-being. Especially having to do with safety or well-being. Conditions are defined as the circumstances affecting the way which one lives, especially having to do with safety or well-being. The state of something. It's the state of something. These are conditions. This is what happens when we become conditioned. It was a disruption at one point. Now it's just we've become conditioned to it. Listen to this. This is the last one. To have a significant influence on. To have a significant influence on. Or determine the outcome of. Of. To have a significant influence on or determine the outcome of. Okay? These are conditions. In essence, what are we saying? It is something that shows up in our life initially as a disruption, but eventually we are to mold and pattern our lives after it. Whatever that influence is, whatever that is in your life that instigates change, whatever in that life that introduces uh, disrupting things and challenging things, look, there are things that need to be disrupted. But what we have to be careful of is what we buy into as this is the way it's supposed to be or this is the way it has to be. I want us to be careful of that. Not just physically, not just talking about cleanliness and distancing, I'm talking about spiritually. And how do we decipher between this? How do we decipher between what needs to be disrupted and what we need to be careful of conditioning and patterning our lives after that we should have never grown accustomed to in the first place? Where do we establish the non-negotiables? 
Where do we establish the non-negotiables in our life that says no matter what, this will never be taken away? I've already said almost every single service how um, amazing it's been for our church, even through this season, especially in the month, a little over a month that we weren't gathering in person. The giving was just phenomenal. And that's because you conditioned in your life, this is a non-negotiable. I don't care if I'm in person in the building. I will, some of you figured out online giving, you'd never put a credit card on the internet ever. But you found a way to give to your church. And I can't thank you enough, but you didn't do it for my thank you. You did it because he's Lord. You did it because he loves you. You did it because he's already paid the price for you. And there's no, there's no amount I could ever repay that would pay him back for everything he's done. And so I'll give of my finances. I'll give of my time. I'll give of my resources. It's a non-negotiable. And I will not be conditioned. I will not let the world tell me where my generosity can go. Some of y'all were dropping checks in our mailbox, mailing them to our post office box, whatever. You made sure I'm not getting conditioned to another pattern. This might be a disruption, but it will not become a condition. So Gideon has experienced a disruption along with the entire Israelite people. Again, because of their obedience, their disobedience. Again, because they fall, they fell away from the word of God and disobeyed. I tell you what, disobedience is the quickest way to disruption. Disobedience is the quickest way to disruption. It disrupts things. The wages of sin is death. That's disruption. Adam and Eve's way of life was greatly disrupted the second that they sinned and disobeyed. God, disobedience leads to disruption. But the angel appears to the man hiding out in the bottom of a wine press, doing a job inside that should be done outside, doing a job uh, in, a, uh, pe- in a peculiar, obscure place that should be done out in the open where everyone can see. He shouldn't have to be living in fear. But the angel says to him, mighty hero, the Lord is with you. So Gideon's like, Anybody else in this wine press with me? Who are you talking to? Mighty hero and the Lord is with you. Nothing in my life reveals that. Nothing in Gideon's life says, mighty hero, mighty hero, the Lord is with me. Mighty hero, the Lord. Everything in my life is absolutely contrary. But what is the angel doing? Disrupting what he became conditioned to. See, God will bring in disruptions to challenge our disobedience, but then he'll bring a disruption to change who you are. To change, to challenge and to change. And so he brings this disruption and he says, mighty hero, he had to wake him up. 
He had to challenge him. He had to challenge his thinking. You were disrupted. Now you become conditioned, but now I want to wake you out of that cycle and out of that pattern. You've accepted this as a new way of life. You've accepted this as this is how it's gonna be. We're gonna have to live in fear and we're gonna have to uh, uh, you know, do things in a peculiar way and in an obscure place and we're gonna have to fear for our lives and we're gonna have to fight for every inch of grain that we can find. But that is not the life that God has. That's not, the, that's not the promised land life that God promised Abraham, Moses, and Joshua to be brought to an inch of his life and fear for the very little that he does have. So he's what? Disrupting. Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. Verse 13, sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Well, if you go back up into Judges chapter six, he clearly says, you disobeyed me. You've brought this on yourself. But Gideon immediately, and God even reminds them, I brought you across the Red Sea. I provided for you in the wilderness. I brought you out of the hand of Pharaoh. I can deliver you. I can set you free. But because of your disobedience, you've opened yourself up to attacks from the, er the very enemies you ought to be conquering. So he says, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Well, we all know that it wasn't the Lord that abandoned. We all know that it wasn't the Lord that left them. It wasn't the Lord that neglected them. Oh, sorry, I got distracted. I'm supposed to be over here protecting you. No, he's very clear. I'm with you. I'll never forsake you, but you've abandoned me. You've left my principles. You've left my ordinances. But now the Lord has abandoned us. Verse 14. Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have. See, this is what we're talking about. Go with the strength you have. Why? Because there's strength that you don't even know you have. There's resource you don't even know you have. Now notice he doesn't say, step aside, wee little man. I'll take care of this. No, what's he doing? He's placing the responsibility on Gideon to be the judge and deliver an entire nation. You see, God is not doing anything in the earth without using mankind. Never has, never will. He can't. That's another one of those things that he can't. Well, God can do anything. God is sovereign. God is sovereign over one thing, his word. And if he speaks it, he can't go back on it. And so when he spoke in Genesis chapter 1, 26, 27, 28, and said, let them rule and have dominion over the fish of the sea, birds of the air, everything that creeps on the earth and over all the earth. Guess what he just did? I can't do anything in the earth unless I'll use you. That's exactly what he just did. 
So if he wants to save, uh, you know, a family from a flood, he has to find a man to build an ark. If he wants to lead his people out of the hands of Pharaoh, he's got to find a Moses. If he wants to lead his people into a promise, he's got to find a Joshua. If he's looking for the first king of Israel, he's got to find a David. Prophets, priests, kings in the Old Testament. If he wants to start a new church, he's got to find a Paul. If he wants to save mankind from their sins, he has to put himself inside of a flesh suit, name it Jesus, and Jesus came that you and I could be restored to our kingdom authority and privilege once again. He did not come to just to get you to heaven. What a glorious day that will be. But while I'm here, I got work to do. Look at your neighbor say, we got work to do. Look at him. We got work to do. We got work to do. Whether you believe it or not, you better figure it out quick. Because he's coming to you and he's saying, in your own strength. Well, God, I, didn't, I don't have any strength. You see me down here in a wine press hiding out. You see me down here doing a, a, a task completely differently than what I should be doing. These are not normal conditions. I don't have anything to offer. I'm just trying to hold on to what I, Gideon's in protective mode. Gideon's in, it's all about me mode. He's not thinking about saving a nation. He's not about saving some grain. He's got a very small mind compared to what God wants to open his eyes to and open his mind, open his mind to what he is capable of doing. Go in your strength and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh and I am the least in my entire family. I love the template that God uses when he's picking and choosing people for his glory and for his purpose. Don't you? Yeah. Because God is trying to do something in the earth that's way bigger than all of us, but he wants to use us. And your past and where you came from and what you have access to never was and never will be a limit for what God can do through you. We say it all the time. God's not looking for people that are able. He's looking for people that are available. My availability trumps my ability. But here's the thing. When God wants expansion, we find excuses. Every time. Every time. When God wants expansion, You'll find, you'll, you'll, you'll run down excuses. You'll try to find. This is the same thing Moses did. It's the same thing that Moses did. What was Moses saying? I, I mean, I, I murders a guy. I can't even talk right. I mean, just excuse after excuse after excuse. And eventually God had to just kind of get angry and get, and, and God's already speaking through a burning bush that's not burning. So I wouldn't test him much further. He's already seems to be pretty hot as it is. I mean, I, I don't know 
I don't know what Moses was thinking, but he's trying to come up with every reason in the book not to be the man. But man, when God picks you, he picks you. God will fight for you. And I don't mean fight free like he'll fight your battles. He will fight for you to make sure you accomplish the will. I mean, for people not to fulfill the plan of God, they have to work hard because God is working even harder to get you into it. He will, he will wait. He's long suffering. He is so patient. He is so kind. He is so merciful. He is so gracious. He could have gave up on us a long time ago, but he keeps coming after us. He keeps saying, I've still called you. I've still got a purpose for your life. My destiny is still on your hand. I will not, I will not repent and take away the callings that I've put on your life. Just follow the assignment that I'm giving you. So with Gideon, he's coming up with these excuses. How can I rescue Israel? My clan, my family is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh. I'm the least in that clan. He's like, I don't, I don't, I, I, I'm not even on the family tree. I, I'm, I'm not even on the death chart here. You shouldn't be calling on me. But look at what God's response is. The Lord said to him, I will be with you. That's all you need. That's all you need. You don't need skill. You don't need tactic. You don't need learning. You don't need education. You don't need money. Your greatest resource is the presence of God. Your greatest resource is I will be with you. You Now, he will direct you into only able to do it because he thinks to fulfill that assignment, yes. But at the end of the day, you're only able to do it because he is with you. My presence will go with you. It's the very same thing that he promised to Moses. It's the very same thing that he promised to Joshua. I will not leave you. I will be with you and you will destroy the Midianites as if you were fighting against one man. That is just incredible. So look, all of your excuses, all of your reasons why you can't, they're valid. Let me just give you some validation. Yeah, that's a good reason that you couldn't do it. I've never done it before. Well, that's a good reason. You know, a lot of people in the secular world, they want people that have done it before. Well, I don't have any experience with that. Okay, well, we're looking for someone with three to four years of experience. We need, we're looking for someone that's got a bachelor's. We're looking for someone that's got a master's. We're looking for someone that's operated at this level. We're looking for someone that, I mean, all those things, those are valid reasons. Let's just go ahead and set that aside. They might be valid excuses, but to God, they're just simply not accepted. So he tells Gideon, I hear you, and you're right, but I'm still picking you. That's a word for somebody today. He hears you. Every time you tell him why you can't, every time you tell him why you want to give up, every time you tell him why you want to back out, Every, every time you tell him, I'm not the one, I'm not the man, I'm not the, every time, he says, I hear you, but I'm not taking it. 
I mean, you, he says, you're going to have to just choose to walk away and not do my will, to not do it. Because I'm picking you in spite. I'm picking you because. Sometimes I wish that we would listen to the reason why God is picking us instead of telling him all the reasons why he shouldn't. I'm in that boat. God, I, I, I know about 10 reasons why I shouldn't, but why don't you go ahead and tell me why you think I should? Give it a shot. And let him tell you how faithful you are. Let him tell you all about your heart to serve. Let him tell you about all the reasons why he thinks you're the man or the woman for the job. Why don't you just spend some time listening to him instead of spouting off all the reasons why you don't think you can. Amen. Because he's got a reason. He's got a reason why he's moving on with you. He's got a reason why he wants to use you for his purpose and for his glory. Look at this in verse 25. Jump on down to verse 25. Gideon needs a lot of convincing. I think I circled the word fear or afraid or fearful about seven times just in these two chapters, six and seven. He did it in spite of fear. He did it in spite of how he felt. He did it in spite of what the overwhelming natural reaction might have been. He followed the Lord. But it took some convincing. It took some uh, opportunities where, uh, you know, he would have to say, okay, God, you need to do this. You need to do that. You need to prove to me. I want to tell you today. You don't need fleeces and you don't need angels to come out in your bedroom and say, well, God, if that's really what you want me to do, then you're gonna have to do this and this. You know who you have? The Holy Spirit living inside of you. He is the confirmation that you are a child and son of God. He will bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God. He has put his spirit inside of you. You don't need a fleece. You've got the Holy Spirit. You've got God himself in the third person living inside of you saying, you're the one. You got this. You can do it. You can do all things through Christ. No weapon formed against you shall prosper. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. That's the Holy Spirit reaffirming and confirming things in you. But Gideon doesn't have that. Gideon doesn't have what you and I have. I read a thing just yesterday. We're all gonna get to heaven. We're gonna ask Moses how he parted the Red Sea. And we're gonna ask David how he killed Goliath. And they're gonna ask us what it was like to have the very person of the Holy Spirit living inside of us. Yeah, yeah, that was great. But tell me, what's it like having God live in you? Because we've never had that. Yeah, that's a wake up call. And then you might have to get ready for the next question. And what did you do with that? You mean you had the Holy Spirit living in you and then the Holy Spirit came upon you and you're asking me about parting waters? Yeah, that's a little sobering. Let's just end on that note and walk out of here with our heads low and come back next week, try this again. Yeah. 
That's you and I. We're the church of the living God. We've got the Holy Spirit residing with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. He said he'll abide with you forever. I won't leave you orphans. Come on, man. Where's the Holy Spirit empowered church? Man. It's time to rise. So verse 25, that night the Lord said to Gideon, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one that is seven years old, pull down your father's altar to Baal and cut down the Asherah pole standing beside it. Then build an altar to the Lord your God here on this hilltop sanctuary, laying the stones carefully. Sacrifice the bull as a burnt offering on the altar, using it as fuel, the wood of the Asherah pole you cut down. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord had commanded. But he did it at night because he was afraid of the other members of his father's household and the people of the town. And you go on to read that after he did it, they woke up the next morning, saw the new altar, saw the Baal, saw Baal gone, saw the Asherah pole, and they came out wanting to kill the man that did it. You know why? Because people enjoy their conditions. People like the stuff that they get stuck in. People will hold on to and say, don't you take my normal. This is my normal. I don't want a new normal. This is what I want. And they will die in their normal. They'll die in their conditions and they'll fight you to keep their conditions. But the interesting thought is before God had Gideon go and deliver a nation, he had to first deliver his own house. Before you can fight that battle, you better make sure you're fighting your battle. There's stuff in your own home. There's stuff in your own family. There's stuff right next to you that God is saying, destroy this because this will hinder you from that. Make sure we're taking care of the stuff in-house. Some of you have had a lot of time in your house. Maybe you've gotten to see things that you didn't know were there. Maybe you've gotten to see uh, uh, indications of things that you don't want to go down or things you don't want to tolerate or allow. Maybe there's some things in your own home that need to be disrupted and challenged and confronted. And before we go out trying to challenge the world, let's make sure we're challenging the stuff that's right here with us. First. Now. Judges chapter six, verse 33. Soon afterward, the armies of Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east formed an alliance against Israel. So it's actually gone from bad with the Midianites to worse. They've gotten some friends. It's amazing that all these nations that were once enemies would ally together to fight God's people. We pose that much of a threat. Have you noticed that? That people that were once fighting one another and talking about one another and pointing at one another are now joining forces <laughs> to fight us. Yeah, because that means we pose a great threat to the enemy, that he will align and ally together and unify. See, even the enemy doesn't, tolerate division. 
Even the enemy won't tolerate divisiveness. Because you can tear down a nation from the outside and it'll rebuild. You tear down a nation from the inside, it has no hope of coming back. So now they're allied together to take out God's people. And the Spirit of the Lord clothed Gideon with power. He blew a ram's horn as a call to arms, and the men of the clan of Abiezer came to him. He also sent messengers throughout Manasseh, Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, summoning their warriors, and all of them responded. Then Gideon said to God, If you are truly going to use me to rescue Israel as you promised, prove it to me. In this way, this is Gideon needing those confirmations again. Gideon needing those little indicators. Am I on the right track? Am I still being used by you? Are you still with me? I will pull, I will put a wool fleece on the threshing floor tonight. And if the fleece is wet with dew in the morning, but the ground is dry, then I will know that you are going to help me rescue Israel as you promised. And that is just what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the fleece and wrung out a whole bowlful of water. Then Gideon said to God, please don't be angry with me, but let me make one more request. Let me use the fleece for one more test. This time, let the fleece remain dry while the ground around it is wet with dew. So that night, God did as Gideon asked. The fleece was dry in the morning, but the ground was covered with dew. Worship team, if you come. In the midst of disruption, in the midst of this conditioning that takes place, Gideon is asking for an unnatural, I said an unnatural request. Because he recognizes that for us to defeat these armies and for us to challenge these enemies and for us to defeat what is coming against us, we're going to need some unnatural resource. God wants to challenge you to live beyond the natural. God wants to challenge you through all this that he is spirit and those who worship him worship in spirit and in truth. And a miracle, a miracle such as this that's what a miracle is. That's, that is the basic definition of a miracle. Something that is unnatural. Something that it doesn't work that way. It doesn't happen that way. We've never seen that done before. Those are the words that ought to wake up the church in this hour. Those are the words that we should be running after, after not just what everybody else is doing. But God is trying to wake his church up 
to what has never been done before. We've never seen that done. That's what God wants to do. Now here's the thing you have to understand about miracles. Miracles are completely natural to God. That's where he lives. That's where he operates. He he operates in what is unnatural to us. It's natural for God for blind eyes to open. It's natural for God to see addictions broken off of people's lives in an instant. It's natural to God to see what is unnatural to us. I believe God wants to wake us up. I believe God wants to disrupt what we have accepted as a natural order of things. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I don't know for every person in this room, individually, what does that mean? What are the natural orders of things that you've accepted in your life? The natural, that's just how it is. That's how they always treat me. That's how I always respond. That's all I have to give. God's wanting to move us beyond. Go in the strength you have. What strength? That's exactly what I'm talking about. Stop relying on your natural ability because my weakness is room for his strength. What I cannot do is the door for what he can do. Thank you for taking the time to listen to our podcast today. We trust you received a word from God. If you enjoyed this teaching, be sure to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes. By subscribing, you'll be sure to receive a new message every week as soon as they are made available. And if you'd like to learn more about Anchor Faith Church, you can stop by our website at anchorfaithaboutaustin.com. There you'll find our locations and service times, ministries that are available for you and your family. You can even give financially in support of the ministry. Thank you again for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time right here on the Anchor Faith Church podcast.